When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. Uh, with me, Susie Dent, and my co-host... Jazz Brandreth. And I'm speaking to you <laughs> from southwest London. Where are you, Susie Dent? I'm in the same place as I was last week. I am in my sitting room come study, looking at all my language books, and I'm in Oxford. So, yes. Well, so we're, we're yes. still using our fantastic home recording yeah. kit. Um, so thank you to the Something Else team for setting us up with this. Because I have to say, something. my wife said to me, darling, you've been saying, I've been saying to you for years, Charles, you're not going anywhere. And now it's true, literally. <laughs> so I'm still where I was last week. You're where you were. How's the week been for you? Yes. Have you had lots of, have you been able to get out? Are you going out every day for your hourly constitutional? Uh, yes. So I, I've been riding my bike actually recently and Oxford just, I reminded myself the other day, just what an amazing city I live in because having been a student here and then gone away for quite a long time, lived in London for a while, came back. I tend to avoid the places I used to go when I was a student. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but I, I don't that often go into the beautiful city centre or wander around the colleges. And obviously I can't go into the colleges now, but just cycling past the really quiet cobbled streets, past the Radcliffe camera, for, if anyone knows Oxford, they'll know about that. And some of the colleges going down the high street, going past Christchurch Meadows, it's just beautiful. And it has reminded me that actually I really take this for granted and I need to, you know, just explore it a bit more. I go for my walk every morning quite early, about 7.30 in the morning. And what I'm loving is the birdsong. Uh, normally, yes. I'm on the flight path to Heathrow, but now there don't seem to be any flights to Heathrow, or very few, and the birds have returned, and it's fantastic. And I've been, You did a beautiful recording. I've done some little recordings, and I put them out on yeah. Twitter, literally tweets on Twitter, and, and clever mm. people are getting in touch and saying, oh, I heard this bird, and they're recognising what the birds are, which is amazing. You, well, that could be something to do during lockdown, oh. is to learn to differentiate birdsong. Wouldn't that be amazing? You will not have heard of a man called Percy Edwards, have you? I have heard of Percy Edwards. Now, wasn't he great at whistling? Percy Edwards was great at whistling. Right? You have got him right. He yes. was essentially, he was a zoologist uh, by mm -hmm. profession, but he was also uh, an animal impersonator. And mm. uh, he did the animals for many famous movies. The, the sounds of the animals. But he famously could do up to 600 different birds. Well, I loved the bird song that you tweeted. That you asked me about my week. I've had a few moments of anxiety. I don't know if you have. And it seems to manifest itself in the compulsion to clean. Um, so not just cleaning my house generally, but going out shopping and then coming back 
I don't know if anybody else has the same sensation, but coming back with, you know, two, maybe two full shopping bags, I just don't know what to disinfect first. I wash my hands, but then of course I bring out all the food and then I have to wash my hands again, but then I try and disinfect the food and I just can't remember which came first. And I know in the grand scheme of things, this is nothing compared with what our doctors and nurses, et cetera, are doing. So don't get me wrong. It's a tiny, tiny worry. But it's moments like that that I tend to feel anxious because I feel like I actually can't control this thing because it's invisible. Do, do you have moments like that? I certainly have moments like that. And I've been thinking all week about the man who, to use the phrase you used last week, gobbed in front of you last week. Yes. And I've spent the week on my early morning walk sort of dodging, ducking and diving between the runners. They're the ones I'm frightened of. Uh, they come panting behind true. you, panting, panting, yes. panting. And then one of them was not just panting, but coughing as well. I didn't know where to go. Oh. I saw, I, anyway, I hid behind some dustbins. And, and then the people came out of their house. I thought, oh God, I'm going to be caught between the dustbins and the panting man. You're stacking away your shopping and I'm rearranging my bookshelves. I have a question to ask uh, you. I've been okay. doing quite a few bits and pieces for TV and trying to work out yeah. which room to be filmed in. I've done some things downstairs in rooms where there are books. Big mistake, because people then are judging you by your books. Either, <laughs> you know, you're reading the wrong things or you've, if you've got rather grand books behind you, you're being pretentious. What I wanted oh. to ask you was this. Do you arrange your books alphabetically? No, is the answer. I, I did make a sort of half-hearted effort. But to be honest, I, it just felt too anal for them. So I just thought, no. Well, I think you are the luckier and the happier person because I am anal. So that all my novels okay. are alphabetical by author. They're alphabetical when you get to an author by the order in which the author wrote the books. So all the Jane Austens oh, wow. are in the order the novels were published, all the Brontes, all of that. And biographies are not by the author of the biography, but by the subject of the biography. But mm -hmm. a psychiatrist friend of mine, said to me some months ago, seeing me doing this, Oh, Giles, you think you can keep death at bay by sorting out your books. <laughs> this is typical displacement. This is what people do when they're frightened of death. They think that by being able to arrange their books, they can order their life. Do you keep your books at the front of the shelf or do you give an inch back? I did keep them at the front because it looked nicer, but time has unfortunately changed you see, that. I will get to my books at some point. I try to keep and, them and at the front, but my mm, wife look nicer that way. is doing daily Zumba or Pilates or exercise classes of one kind or another. She is constantly... And you can see where she puts well, her hands, right? Yes, and she puts her hands <laughs> on my beloved bookshelves, pushes these books back. Oh, the tension between there us. There should be a proverb about this. Ha, there should oh. be a proverb about... Careful where you put your hands. Well, I'd love to talk about Proverbs. And in fact, I, uh, thinking that we might, I managed to get from my bookshelves some lovely old books of Proverbs. This is, I'm showing you, Ron, because oh. we are on Zoom as well. We can see each other as well as chatting to each other. I'm showing, yeah. Susie, Proverbs of All Nations, which belong to my great-great-grandfather. It's dated 1861. And it's amazing. full of amazing Proverbs, most of which I don't understand. I've opened it randomly at page 115. Steal the goose and give the giblets in arms. There's a Spanish version, steal the pig and give away the petitos for God's sake. That's brilliant. Yeah. We, we should talk about other nations' proverbs because they're often so different to ours. So I've only just discovered that don't cry. No, there's no point crying over spilt milk. Yep. In other words, it's already happened. So there's no point in being upset. In Welsh, it's don't raise your petticoat after peeing. Oh, In other amazing. words, if you've peed with your petticoat down, you've already wet yourself. 
That's my reading of it. That's lovely. And in Russian, easier said than done in Russian, is your elbow is close, but you can't bite it. It's not brilliant. Obviously, that's not the Russian. I love that. You know my favourite one in a Russian version is the phrase out of sight, out of mind. And it was Hmm. translated into Russian by a computer. And then it was translated back into English. And it went out as out of sight, out of mind. And it came back Hmm. as invisible lunatic. (laughs) <laughs> so, the most famous I proverb, I looked up a list of the, the most famous proverbs, the most popular proverbs, was an apple a day keeps the doctor at bay. Do you know anything about the origin of that? Yeah, I think, well, I was just mentioning Welsh, and I think we have to go to Pembrokeshire for the source of this one. 1866, we get somebody saying it's a Pembrokeshire proverb, eat an apple on going to bed and you'll keep the doctor from earning his bread. Mm. And there are lots of different variations on it. Some of them involve carrots. So a carrot a day will keep a doctor away. I have to say, I do eat carrots every day, raw carrots. I just love them. But I don't know if they're going to keep the doctor away. I hope they will. Anyway, so it was once a carrot a day keeps the doctor away, but apples too. Very good. Now, I mean, lots of them are to do with food, apples. aren't they? Yes. What about the proof of the pudding is in the eating? Ah, yes. The proof of the pudding and the eating, it seems really odd, doesn't it? But the idea is, frankly, the proof of the pudding is simply whether or not it's good is in the eating of it. So it's not it's not as kind of dastardly as it sounds. But there are phrases, there are proverbs that seem to have completely no logic at all. So to have your cake and eat it is a really odd one. But the original wording did make sense because it was, you can't eat your cake and then have it too, which makes perfect sense. And it was from over 500 years ago. And for some reason... We flipped it to today's more puzzling version. I've got some wonderful ones about cheese that my father loved. He used to say, after cheese comes nothing. And the other one he did, the other cheese one he had. Now this is, well, I don't know whether this is permissible now. Uh, An apple pie without some cheese is like a kiss without a squeeze. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. Um, I like that one. One of my mum's favourites was talk of the devil. Do you remember? Well, I guess we still say, oh, talk of the devil when you are talking about somebody and then they just walk through the door. That's really old. It's mid 17th century and it reflects the superstition, mm-hmm. not more superstition, that it was dangerous to mention the devil by name. So there were so many synonyms for the devil, you know, Old Nick, Prince of Darkness, the Horned One, all came about because we thought we needed euphemisms for the, for the devil. And people... They probably didn't believe that the mention of the devil would cause him to actually appear, but it did become quite a useful sort of figurative phrase. And Shakespeare used it quite often. So he says he must have a long spoon that must eat with the devil. And then in his time, the clergy also said, you know, talk of the devil and he is bound to appear because it was a warning against being too curious about evil and um, and stepping in the wrong direction. So I like that one. I like the devilish ones. What about teaching a grandmother to suck eggs? Yeah, that's really odd. Again, what you'll find if you're digging into Proverbs is that there are so many versions of it. As sure as eggs is a good example of that. As sure as eggs is eggs. Um, There are so many different things substituted for eggs. Some people think it's all to do with algebra and as sure as X is X. But no, there were just all sorts of food things substituted for that. And it's the same with grandmother sucking eggs. You could teach your grandmother to do all sorts of things. A sucking eggs seems a really weird thing to do, but that's what thieves used to do if they were hungry, apparently, is they would just, um, I don't know, this is an old wives' tale, and so many proverbs are based on that, but they would sneak into the coop 
And they would steal the eggs. And if they were particularly hungry, they'd make a hole and then wolf it down straight. Then if that's true. Maybe that's something that old grandmothers would do. Maybe toothless old crones, because that's how they were (laughs) in ancient days when people lost their teeth. Uh, they, They sucked up the eggs like that. I mean, you mentioned yeah, old, old wives' tales. What's How old an expression is that? Yeah, well, that one's um, around the 18th century. And in fact, most of them do date back to the 18th century. And other versions of sucking eggs was don't teach your grandmother to steal sheep. And even more weirdly, which makes you think they were deliberately choosing something that was a bit preposterous, don't teach your grandmother to milk ducks, oh, which I like. That's good. Um, the idea is obviously longer experience brings the wisdom that you... You need to manage such tricks. He that eats least eats most. What do you think about that one? He that eats least eats most. Uh, So he who actually is less greedy in life. Exactly. The The moderate eater will live the longest. And to to keep yourself fit and your digestion good, after dinner, sit a while. After supper, walk a mile. Rather nice, Ooh, isn't it? That's a good one, too. It's a good remedy. Should we take a break and come back to some of these? Okay. I'll tell you what I want to do after the break. One of my favorite proverbs is well, it's not really a proverb, actually, it's an expression to turn a blind eye to something. Oh, is that to do with Nelson? We... It must be. Yes, it is. Also, from something else Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... (laughs) Uh, uh, This is brilliant. Yeah, by finding out... When he discovers Amazing. that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. <laughs> Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Here we are again. I'm Jazz Brandra. This is Something Rhymes with Purple. My friend Susie Dent knows everything about language, the origin of words and phrases. To turn a blind eye, I've always believed this is something to do with Admiral Lord Nelson, the man who stands atop that mighty column in Trafalgar Square, now deserted. Am I right? Yes, you are right. I think it's quite well known, this one. But I love it because it's just so literal. I think I've talked before on our podcast about how I love those idioms which you think must be a metaphor, but actually began with really literal origins. This is one of them. So, of course, turning a blind eye, we use it as a figurative um, turn of phrase these days, but it does go back to Horatio Nelson, who of course, had one blind eye. And just to condense it really quickly, once during battle, the British forces signalled for him to stop attacking a fleet of Danish ships because surrender looked inevitable. 
he thought they still had a chance. So he held up a telescope to his blind eye and said, I do not see the signal. So he persevered, he um, attacked and was victorious. So his blind eye turned out to be extremely important. Wonderful. Um, And I just love that. And is he the Nelson of the Nelson Touch? You've heard that expression. Oh, what's the Nelson Touch? Oh, having the Nelson Touch. My best touch, but not Nelson Touch. Oh, the, no. well, what's that? the Nelson Touch means something rather special. Oh, you've got the Nelson Touch. Ooh. Now, this, did, okay. you, did you, when you were at school, play cricket or have you played cricket since? Um, I used to play French cricket with a tennis back racket. I've never actually played cricket cricket. I played cricket. cricket. They used to say uh, Giles scores really well, meaning that I would lie in the long grass keeping the score, uh, which mm-hmm. is how I know that uh, a Nelson in cricket is a score of 111, 111, because at the end of his life, Admiral Lord Nelson allegedly had only one eye, one arm and one leg, 111. Wow. That's a Nelson yeah. for you. Wow. That's a good one, well, isn't it? Well, no one would have given Nelson a cold shoulder. No. And I wanted to mention this one because this is one where it's got a lovely story attached to it, which, once again, I have to... I have to kind of um, politely say is a load of tosh. Um, so giving someone a cold shoulder, in it's said to go back to medieval England when it was customary to give a guest a cold piece of meat from the shoulder of mutton or pork or whatever it was that they were eating. Some some stories say that this was a polite way of telling people that they may leave. Other stories suggest that this was the kind of meat equivalent of, or not the meat equivalent, but another equivalent of um, humble pie, which we've mentioned before was originally umbles pie, umbles being the entrails of animals that were served up at banquets and uh, the entrails were served to the peasants. So it said that the cold shoulder was the one that was given to the lowlier members of a table. Uh, it's a lovely story, but it's completely rubbish and the truth is just much more prosaic. It literally means you just turn your shoulder as a way of completely ignoring someone in disdain. Oh, that's a bit disappointing. Sorry about that. But it's good I know, to know. Sorry, no, I built, built it up. We, and then no, but this is good. This is why people tune in, because they want to know from you the authority. So don't rest on your laurels. <laughs> oh, rest on your laurels. What's the origin of that? Yeah, rest on your laurels. Romans, uh, well, Greeks. Well, that goes back to ancient Greece. Yeah. Yes, absolutely right. Laurel, laurel leaves were the symbols of success, sporting success, particularly status and achievements. And resting on your laurels was a way of basking in your past achievements and the glory of those rather than your present accomplishments. But it it didn't start off as being negative. Only later did it take on a negative connotation. So actually resting on your laurels was quite a good place to be. Um, But it it kind of flipped. And those laurels, of course, give us laureate, as in the poet laureate, as in a Nobel laureate. Um, Yes. It means somebody who is worthy of wearing those laurels. Yes, well, it didn't actually start off like that. So a baccalaureate, for example, it started off with a different etymology. So it started off being a Latin word for someone who was a kind of knight of lowly status. But its spelling was changed because people assumed it was to do with a laurel wreath and that actually you were you were given and crowned with a garland of laurel if you were successful. So it kind of changed because of folk etymology, which happens quite a lot in the course of English. You know, but there are other ones that seem so ridiculous. You think, oh, this can't be true. And they are. And buttering someone up is one of those. Mm -hmm. If you butter someone up, you behave quite obsequiously. You're a bit of a toady. But to butter someone up is thought to go back to a religious tradition in ancient India where Worshippers would throw butter balls at the statues of their gods as a way of seeking favour and forgiveness. Oh. It sounds 
rubbish, but actually there is evidence that this happened. How interesting, because I'd have thought buttering yeah. somebody up was to do with greasing greasing around someone, yes. exactly, being oily. Yes. But you're telling us yes. it goes back to to India and people throwing butterballs at the statues of gods. Gosh, yeah. seeking favour and forgiveness. Well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Yes. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Now, this one is really, really old, as you would probably expect. Well, it kind of, I guess, proverbs are snippets of wisdom, aren't they? Transferred from one generation to the next. And this is one of them. So it was, it started off as a warning to travellers to observe local custom, which is pretty much what we're talking about, you know, what we use yeah. it for today. And it's thought to have originated in a letter from, I think it was fourth century, um, a bishop of Milan, St. Ambrose. And obviously he wrote in Latin, but his advice read pretty much when you're at when you're at Rome, live in the Roman style. And when you're elsewhere, live as they live elsewhere. And he wrote this to St. Augustine. And I think he was confused about the proper day for fasting. And St. Augustine knew that the Roman church had said that Saturday was the day set aside for fasting. But in Milan, where he lived, there wasn't such requirements. He didn't know what to do. And so he consulted St. Ambrose, who said, he replied with that advice. When in Rome, do as they do. It's very good so advice. Very, very old. Yeah. yeah. I haven't I done agree. any proper name dropping recently. So I, I might as well tell you now that when I first went to interview uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the uh, yes. ruler of Dubai, now yes. a, a figure that we see in a broader light following the divorce proceedings, which were much reported over here, yes. we had coffee. We were chatting and I asked, I was interviewing him. I was there to interview him. It was the first and only personal interview he'd ever given. And I asked my first question and he didn't reply. So I thought, oh, this isn't going very well. So I sipped my coffee and then asked him my second question. Still, he didn't reply. I sipped my coffee again. A third question, still no response from Sheikh Mohammed. So eventually I drained my coffee cup, at which point he answered my first question. And I looked at him puzzled and he said, ah, in our country, we have the hospitality first, we have the entertainment first, and then we do the business. So I was not able uh, to reply to your questions until you had finished your coffee. So how strange. when in Dubai, do what Sheikh Mohammed does, unless you're there's, married to him. There's also the, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not. I don't know if we have any listeners in Japan, it would be wonderful. But isn't it customary as well that, that the um, people working in an office cannot leave until the boss leaves? I think there may, may even be a Japanese phrase for that, but that's always fascinated me. Totally. I guess it's true. Well, I was going to say, neither of us can leave, so we've answered some questions, and we've had a lot of questions <laughs> from people. Good point. So can I, can I fire a few at you? Please do. I can't promise that I'll know the answers, but I'll try. Well, first up, a comment on something from last week. Bruce Fielding emailed to claim that when we were discussing the black sheep advertisement for Volkswagen, she was actually thinking of an advertisement for Levi Jeans. Uh, or maybe there were two uh, ads. I don't know. Levi, by the way, uh, what's, what's the origin of that? Levi's are not called Levi. Are they, was there a person called Levi after whom they named? Levi Strauss, wasn't it? Levi Strauss was his name, wasn't it? And he made the jeans and now they're called Levi's. Yes. And jeans, yes. Come, where does the word jeans come from? Genoa, as I recall. Uh, Genoa. Yeah. Genoa. And denim comes from Nîmes, de Nîmes, from Nîmes in France. Yes. And Nîmes in France is one of those funny French places that has a hat over the eye. Isn't that right? It has a circumflex. A circumflex. We used to call it, when I was at school, it was called a chapeau uh, on the eye. We didn't use the word circumflex. We said, ah, a chapeau. I don't suppose the French use circumflex. Well, I think 
They've modified the rules, and I don't think the circumflex is compulsory anymore. If there are uh, French teachers listening to this, because maddeningly for them, schools are closed at the moment, or anyway, it's the Easter holidays, um, you could let us know whether the French have abandoned their accents. If people actually do want yeah, to... Yeah, because the Germans got rid of their S set, the double S, so it's quite possible. If anybody yeah. does want to get in touch with us, it's simply it's quite easy to do. Purple at something else.com. Purple at something else.com. No G in the something. Olivia Phillips. This is something that's been creeping into the lexicon uh, of late, according to <laughs> Olivia Phillips. Hello, both. You are most definitely my favourite podcast. That's very sweet. Oh, uh, yeah. thank you. I always listen to them. The day they come out. Yay. After lockdown, uh-huh. I shall be starting my history A level. And I'm more looking oh, to affirm my Olivia. theory that the word history originates from his story. And uh, if so, should I begin to call history either their story or her, her story, story <laughs> in the interests of feminism? Thank you, Olivia. Good question. What is the origin of the word history? Well, I can dismiss the fact that it has anything to do with the male possessive pronoun, nothing to do with his at all, because it goes all the way back to the Romans, as things so often do, and historia, which for them was exactly as we would use it today. It was an account or narrative of past events. And historia eventually, of course, came into English via French, in fact, as um, as history. But story also um, is involved there because the word story originally meant the same thing, uh, a written narrative of past events that were accepted as true. And historia kind of broke off. It was it was reborrowed into English after the Normans came along and their French word histoire. And then story could describe dramatic representations of real events and then eventually the kind of fictional ones too. But I will just add, the reason I'm lingering on this is I love the fact that story with an E, as in a multi-story car park, is a sibling of the stories that we read in our books or from history, because it originally referred to tiers of painted windows or sculptures that would decorate the facades of buildings, the fronts of buildings, which would each depict a historical subject. So each story with an E told a different story. I love this. I love that. It's brilliant. I like that too. Anyway, it was a very long and and involved way of saying, Olivia, you can still use history with pride because it should embrace both, you know, female and male history. And good luck with your history A-level. What A-levels did you do, Susie? I did French, German and English. Well done. English Lang and English Lit, yeah. Yeah, Which ones did you do? (laughs) Not very many. I just did two. I did English, which I could speak. And I did French, which at that time I could speak <laughs> okay. as well. I thought uh, uh, fewer, uh, the fewer the better. That was my, that was my philosophy. Uh, now, Alexander Henderson has a question. Gravy. Hello, Giles. Hello, Susie. I'm a sixth form student from Newcastle. Oh, this is interesting. The younger generation are discovering us. Oh, isn't this marvellous? Mm. Um, this is good. I was slightly alarmed the other day because you had the most fantastic um, little boy. And we need to find his name again because he tweeted, the, he just gave the most rent brilliant rendition of a poem do you remember um and it was just full of drama oh, yes. and it's about wild animals and he said he loved our podcast podcast and i thought okay we need to maybe temper our language a little bit oh come he on did look quite young. oh fuck me we can do what we like uh they, okay. they know it all they they're the ones teaching my grandchildren have taught me language that i did not know existed Hello, Giles and Susie. I'm a sixth form student from Newcastle who has been tuning in for a while and your podcasts are a joy to listen to, especially when on lockdown. I was speaking to a friend of mine who described a film as different gravy. 
I really like the expression, but I'm not sure if it's real or if he just made it up. If it is real, where does it come from? That's a question from Alexander Henderson. I love the expression. Different gravy. I've never heard it before. It's a great expression. Oh, let's spread it is the a good word. Expression. Do you know? Do you know what you um, are, Susie? I'm going to look different this up. gravy. I like it. No lumps in you. I mean, gravy has been, you know, like gravy train. And if something's gravy in slang, it's cool. But the gravy and train isn't cool, is it? Smooth. Gravy train is, is no riding the gravy train. No, what does that but mean? it started off being cool. To ride the gravy train is just have a bit of a, a sort of easy life, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Well, I think you're Should taking advantage this. of other people too. You've climbed aboard something that is sloshing with gravy. Yes, isn't that right? And I think it comes from that slang sense of gravy, meaning sort of easy, the easy life. Ah. Um, but yeah, I've never heard that exact uh, expression. I love it. Well, Very good. Alexander, your your friend may have originated this. So, how does he get the word? How does the word eventually? How will this expression end up in your dictionary? Different gravy. How, does, how will it? How, or how would it? How could it? Well, it, um, boringly, it all comes down to usage. So no particular campaign is going to get your word in the dictionary. I'm sure I've mentioned before the fact that the, I think it was the British Potato Council wanted us to stop using couch potato and use couch slouch instead. Big campaign didn't happen because we're, you know, we are reflecting the way that things are used. So with this one, the more it's used in as many different places as possible for as long a time as possible, the more chance it has of getting it in. It's it's kind of boring, but it is democracy. I'm going to keep going with it. One, We've got time for just one more query from Mostyn okay. and Lila Jones. Hello, Susie and Giles. My seven-year-old daughter wondered, imagine she's Lila, and this is from Mostyn, yes. uh, whilst munching on her lunch, whether cheeky had anything to do with your cheeks. Many thanks. Keep up the excellent and fascinating and amusing work. Well, it's an amusing question. Cheeky. It's a brilliant question, Lila. It actually is a riff on having the face to do something. So if you have the cheek to do something, you have the face to do something, which is a much older expression. And that goes back to the 16th century, I think. And it simply meant you were in command of yourself. You had composure and coolness and boldness. And then in later use, it kind of came to mean an absence of shame. So you had impudence. You had the impudence to do something. And that's when cheek crept in. And what is the origin of the word cheek for the cheek in your cheeks? Uh, the cheek in your cheek. That's a really good question. I'm going to look at I haven't had to look anything up today, which is very unlike me. And it probably means I've made loads of mistakes on the way, but hopefully not. I'm logging into the OED now and cheek. Dancing cheek to cheek. Can you hear that? <laughs> Old English, the etymology is, well, it's got lots of siblings and relations uh, right across Scandinavian and Germanic countries. And it goes back to Old, Isla- Old Icelandic cock, meaning a gullet or throat. But we don't know the, there's further etymology unknown. We don't know the exact origin of it. But yes, it's all to do with the Old Icelandic cock, apparently. You are in complete command of the language, <laughs> Susie Dent. Tell us what your three words for this week are. Oh, my three words, my trio of words. Okay, um, well, I'm going to. T- it's just a lovely Scottish word. I've been kind of browsing through a Scots dictionary recently. I know I've mentioned the word hufflebuffs before, which is one of my all-time favourites. Nineteenth-century Scottish word for the clothes, the old clothes that you shuffle around in at home and that we're all wearing these days for longer than the weekend. That's not my my uh, one of my trio. My first one, I think, is going to be waff. W-A-F-F, because it can mean so many different things in Scots. So it can mean a slight blow with your hands. It can mean a tiny touch of illness. 
It can mean a glimpse, a waft of perfume, or a kind of waving movement of a hand as the queen might perform. That's a waft. W-A-F-F. I like that one. Yes, I just like that one. Number two? So I picked up on that one. Number two is wooden dream, which again... A wooden dream. This reminds me of Midsummer Night's Dream for some reason. So it's W-I-D-D-E-N, dream, wooden dream. Nice word, wooden dream. To be in a wooden dream is something most of us might be feeling or have felt a bit in the past few weeks. It's a state of confusion or disturbance when your equilibrium is not quite as, you know, as balanced as it should be. In other words, it's a bit off kilter. So you're in a wooden dream. And it's a sibling, really, of the nicer word, swadder. And to be in a swadder is a state of drowsiness or stupor, e.g. after a long meal on a hot summer's afternoon. So wooden dream, that's my second. I like it. And my third... Could be swadder. I like that word. Oh, it could be. But what is it? I'll add in another one for free. It's Twitter light. Oh. Twitter light is a very, very old, now obsolete word meaning twilight. Twitter Twitter light. It has an uglier cousin, which is Twatterlight, but we won't go there. Let's not get into the Twatterlight. Let's stick with the <laughs> Twitterlight. Three beautiful words. Oh, that's marvellous. Well, look, that have almost you... wraps it up. <laughs> I've... Oh, yes. Have you got a hand-washing poem for us? I've got a hand-washing poem, and it'll, it'll serve as my Excellent. quotation as well. It's a quotation okay. from the works of a great poet called Lee Hunt. Not as famous as many of you, yet some great contemporaries, people like Wordsworth, who he knew. But um, he lived in, I think he was born in the 1780s and lived to the 1850s, 60s. It's a poem called Jenny Kissed Me. Do you know it? It's short no. and it's sweet and I think it's very charming. And it's quite easy to learn. If you learn two lines at a time, you could learn this poem in four days. And I'm trying to learn poems on my hourly walk every morning. And I'm trying to learn this mm-hmm. one at the moment. Jenny kissed me when we met, jumping from the chair she sat in. Time, you thief, who love to get sweets into your list, put that in. Say I'm weary, say I'm sad, say that health and wealth have missed me, say I'm growing old, but add, Jenny kissed me. Oh, I love that. It's a charming That's poem, beautiful. isn't it? Yes, lovely. It well, look, absolutely charming. if anybody wants to get in touch with us, they've got questions, they want to argue with some of the uh, wisdom of Susie Dent, you'd be a fool to do that, but occasionally she... <laughs> no, please do. You, know, um, you can tweet us or email us at purple at somethingelse.com. Uh, we can't answer every question, but we do our best. And, uh, and we read them all. We do. Actually, we 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 read them all. And actually, we're genuinely very grateful to them all. And we're thrilled that we have this expanding audience, particularly the young people who are joining us now who aren't at school. It's fantastic. Thank you for being there. Uh, Don't forget, if you have enjoyed it, to um, write a nice review, recommend us to a friend. uh, Oh, yes, please do. Just keep keep in touch. Do keep in touch. And we'd just add at the end that Something Rhymes With Purple is, of course, a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett, uh, with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Jemima Rathbone, who did some brilliant research for us, Grace Laker and Gully, without whom we would not be able to speak today. Thank you. Gully is definitely different gravy. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. 
The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.